Welcome, everybody, to Behind the Blade Podcast, episode 15. My name is Jim Stewart here with Matt Martin. Today, we are covering... Today, we are covering both good and a little bit of somber news in Knife News. We are going on location to the Marbles Museum, complete with photographs and a little bit of backstory on some of those innovations. In Tech Tips, let's tune up that soldering game since our last conversation about that on guard soldering to knives. And, of course, our favorite segment, the Q&As. This week on Behind the Blade Podcast. And we're back. Episode 15, gang. Thank you so much for joining us. I am sitting here opposite of the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Stewart, <laughs> as we... Uh, we burn up a little bit of our Sunday. How, how was your weekend, Jim? Weekend was good, man. Spent a lot of family time. Um, we went up and saw Bond Falls um, in the uh, northern part of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, we hiked a small trail on Porcupine Mountain, um, exercised our new puppy nice. a little bit, who we decided is uh, very much a Bernese Mountain Dog and decides to go 10 steps and then sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's, he's really cool. Everything was great. So Saturday was awesome, and Sunday, good sir, I have dedicated to providing our listeners with an excellent show. That's it. I like where your head's at. <laughs> Let's do this thing. Uh, what are you carrying today? Man, what am I carrying today? I am carrying a, a classic mainstay. There you me. go. A classic mainstay. You've got a knife very similar to this one. Your grunt yes. is, is very similar to this. It's This is my uh, my ultralight bushcrafter. It's my custom, not custom, I should say. This is actually like a stock Bark River ultralight bushcrafter. It's 93 thousandths on the spine, so it's super thin. It has lightning holes underneath the scales. I have like green canvas micarta and nothing, nothing fancy. Yeah, I've got, I've got a. I've got oh, you a know me, I love green canvas. Oh, yeah, like I all my shit's green. <laughs> stuff is green canvas. It's so. fantastic. It's it's a very very light knife. Um, it, sh- it it sharpens fairly easily because it's so thin, but the edge lasts forever because it's CPM three V, and uh, you know, uh, Corby bolts hold the retention together and big old lanyard tubes because I like big lanyards, and it has a Zochris Damascus bead on a very simple, uh, ver- very simple weave of a lanyard. Just makes yeah, it kind of a crown senate knot. I'm sorry, yeah. guys. I know this is awesome radio, but. Yeah, everybody who's listening is going to be able to relate to this. I just got something in my boot that is stabbing me through my sock. It's probably like a <laughs> stick or a blade of grass. I even walked over here with no problem. And as I'm sitting here, I'm silently screaming as something stabs me like a punji stick through the sole of my foot. You're going to find a scorpion in there. Oh it's going to be a scorpion you brought from this Arizona, from Colorado. I don't know. <laughs> there it is. I found the uh, culprit. You found the offender? I did. Hang him. What? What is it? I'm serious. It's like a... Is that a needle? What is this thing? Yeah, it's like a cactus spine or something. Holy cow. Holy, what did you do? I I walked over here, Jim. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. All right. Well, okay. So back on topic. Yeah, I'm uh, going to put that on this white piece of paper so I can keep track of the spine. I mean, that's kind of intense. Like, it just, it was like getting stung by a bee. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) I saw you hunch back and I'm like, and I'm like, he's laughing about something? No, that was a scream of pain. Yeah. A scream of terror. Sorry, guys. Thanks for bearing with us. That was terrible. Very unprofessional. So I'm carrying the ultralight bushcrafter today (laughs) on my belt. Very light. Um, and, uh, and I highly recommend this. Um, I'm gravitating. I'm gravitating toward um, a North Country EDC as well. I don't think I've seen those, at least. It's a, it's a little bit of a wider knife, more of a belly, um, thicker on the spine, um, and nice. you can get them in A2 or CPM-154. Sweet. So, um, also 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 from the Bark River line. So, I'm just carrying something simple today, man. Nothing nothing crazy. My beer buster is actually at the shop. Oh, bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be carrying that. Sweet so, knife. So, what about you, good sir? Tell I am about your carrying edged, your edge addiction today. This is one of my all-time favorites. 
This is a, I want to say, I even brought the catalog, but I'm not going to crack into it right now. I'm just going to talk to you guys. Um, I am carrying a 5-inch Marbles Ideal. Yeah. From what classic. I believe is from the 20s, late 20s. Oh, wow. It's a short yeah. handle, right? Right, yeah. Which is fine. I have pretty small hands, so it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I can say with all honesty that I use this thing so much and so rough that it still holds up today after being almost a century year old, years old, uh, you know, or century, century old. Yeah, century old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it holds up so well and I just absolutely love it. I need to have my bride make a sheath for it. I do have the original mm-hmm. sheath, but it's old and it's beat and it's hanging on for dear life. So I think I'm going to have a custom sheath made for it. Very but cool. I love this knife. And of course, you love them, you know them. The Camillus 1999 demo knife. The <laughs> one knife that I keep trying to put away and I, I go to multi-tools, I go to slip joints. I, I've been through a myriad of my collection. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've gone through it all and I just can't seem to replace this knife in functionality, lightweight, ease of use and convenience. So this is these two right here, the Marbles 5-inch ideal and that. But I did want to talk today I know it's not knife related guys and I'm not going to turn this into like an EDC podcast but today I wanted to touch on this one topic because I am a flashlight freak. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, flashlights are exceedingly useful, way more useful than you would think they would be until you start carrying one and go, "Man, I can't see that." Oh wait, I have a flashlight. Yeah, it allows you to <laughs> see in the dark. And so I mean, that's a comp- only other option is like nods, right? Night right. vision goggles, yeah. night optic devices, whatever you well, want to call. Well, flashlights I I understand are cheaper. Yeah, they are cheaper. <laughs> yeah, and I don't like my stuff on my face. I'm sorry guys. It's been a weekend. I will curtail jim i think we have well i don't know if we're going to be able to edit out these two s bombs that i've dropped already but i will make a conscious effort and i'm not even drinking i'm just having coffee today but i just was excited so let's get back on topic flashlights (laughs) now in my experience i there are a lot of custom light makers there's a lot of high-end stuff out there i think it's great it is outside of my budget is what i'm willing to spend i'll spend six at seven hundred dollars on a knife i will not spend two hundred dollars or six hundred dollars on a flashlight right right (laughs) Uh, so what i found to be the best flashlight for the dollar i spent a long time choosing this light and i've been happy i've had it for about two years now is the zebra light sierra charlie 52 lima 2 and it is a single double a which is cool. No CR123s, right? Mm-hmm, right? And I just use those rechargeable AA batteries. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I don't know what the lumens are, guys. I'd have to look at the thing on it. And you can look it up online. I know that it gets extraordinarily bright, bright enough to light up an alleyway in the dark completely. And it's, really, it's really small. What is that, three inches long? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's, it's tiny. And it's got a pocket clip, yes. too. So, so, I mean, we're talking about something to grab and stick in your back pocket and just it's go. It's got a boss yeah. over the button so it doesn't roll. It's got kind of an anti-roll oh, yeah. design. Yeah, so you can't accidentally, like, butt-click it. Right, exactly, you know, you know? yeah. And it's, I mean, the thing is, is great. So, uh... So I carry this, but I'm a two flashlight guy. I also carry, which was a gift that I will never forget from my good friend Brian Efros over at Brian Efros Knives. Uh, many years ago, he gave me a lens light micro titanium delta wrap. Oh. And this thing is more of like an inspection light. It's very, it's mighty for what it is. It's a single, I think it's a triple A that goes in this thing. It's got something op- really easy, yeah. Optical grade glass on it. Um, so it's got a full light transmission. It, yeah, it's a triple A. Um, great light transmission. It's a neutral light, which I really like. And mm-hmm. this one, I probably actually use more than the zebra light, although I like having the brighter zebra light on hand when I do need it. Sure. 
So the zebra light also gets very dim. It's got pro- you have to have a doctorate to program it, but <laughs> once you get it figured uh, out, uh, you can get a very. I mean, look at this. I mean, it's like looking at a candle. Look at how low that. Oh is. yeah, that's super low. Yeah, you're, he's shining that directly in my eyes. Oh, sorry, and I'm not going blind. Yeah, at <laughs> all. I mean, it's really intense. So I like the versatility of zebra light. If I could have just one, it would be that. But I don't have just one, so I carry both of these. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every day, everywhere. I just like having the flashlights yeah. and I use them. And like Jim said, once you carry a flashlight as part of your regular EDC gear and it doesn't have, I mean, I used to carry a mag light, uh, mini mag for oh, years. Really? So, oh. I mean, it doesn't matter. Once uh-huh. you have it though, you'll realize how important they are. So I think for anybody that's, you know, putting together a kit, you don't have to break the bank, but you can have some really good gear. I'm carrying the marbles, a demo knife and two flashlights. And that suits me just fine. What is, what's the retail on the, uh, uh, on that on that zebra flashlight, I think they're like sixty bucks. Really? Yeah, I mean, I would be astonished if they broke seventy for this model. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, well, there's there's zebra flashlights on Amazon, just as a cursory glance, and they're under a hundred bucks. I think the most expensive one on here is seventy eight bucks. Okay. Oh the, no, here it is. It's right here. The SC fifty two L two. Yep, SC fifty two L two flashlight with cool white, seventy eight bucks, prime eligible. Okay, eighty bucks. Yeah. So so, yeah, like, so for yeah. four bucks, you can get it here the next day. Yeah, which so, is it's yeah. awesome. And I think you can get these in neutral also. That nice. gets a little bit more into uh, like a flashlight geek out. What color do you like? Oh, warm, yeah. neutral, or oh, cool? Well, those guys go crazy. Oh, I mean, my it's like God. It's, it's like I don't like that flashlight because it operates at a certain frequency range. Yeah, that, can you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I don't particularly like. I mean, it's way further in depth than than I would have ever thought possible for a flashlight. Yes, because agreed. It, it's a little counterintuitive. But these guys go crazy for it. I mean, like I've seen I've seen flashlights that that you program via a website that that puts up like a little code. Yes, and you take your flashlight and you put it on the screen in. In a certain like you could do it programmable on your phone? mode, yeah, yes. on your phone. a certain programmable mode, and it'll custom program the, the circuitry in your flashlight to perform a certain way that you want. Totally insane. It's, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's, it's crazy. Nuts. I mean, to that, me. that's like some high dollar stuff. I mean, we're talking like Damascus, Damascus, Damasteel flashlights. Yes, and just just crazy high dollar. You can light up stuff. the face of the moon with them. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? That's yeah, that's and, pretty and, nice. And they fit in your pocket. And yeah, don't overheat. You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's pretty neat. So, yeah, but yeah, it's, I thought it's pretty cool. Touch on flashlights for just a moment. So. So, so that's that's our EDC. There you that's go. Our EDC for the for the day. Let's talk about some news. Where, Matt, where do you get your news, good sir? Well, two places. Well, actually, no. I only get it one place. <laughs> uh-huh. Everybody listening to the podcast should be getting it two places. <laughs> oh, yeah. Think I see about what you're that. Saying. So you guys probably should be getting your news from us. And if you want to get a little bit more in depth or see stories that we weren't able to cover, maybe you should visit knifenews.com. <laughs> Today's news for knife people, knifenews.com. Man, I can talk today. Does does an amazing job of aggregating all of the pertinent and and inf- and important information from the industry. From the, I, have, <laughs> I have to read from a card. I mean, like this is this is getting really bad. This is knife news, knifenews.com. Today's news for knife people. Check them out. They do a great job. They so, do, and they have that uh, Knife Gripes series. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw which, the Knife Gripes series. I have not had a chance to watch it yet, but I understand that you have, though. Yeah, uh, no, actually, I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But I actually, there was one thing that is that really interested me, and I thought it was cool, and it's something that we even entertained doing on the podcast until we saw that they had that covered, and we were like, great, you guys go check it out on Knife News. It saves us a whole segment, and it's entertaining. It's supposed to be pretty comedic, and it brings up those gripes that everybody kind of secretly hides in their mind and doesn't <laughs> want to speak. So uh, kudos to them, knifenews.com.com. That is hard. I, I know, right? Yeah, right. Go check them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Speaking of which, what do we got for stories, my good man? We have excellent news, Matt Forbes. Oh, for lay it on me. So good news. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to praise? Michigan governor signs switchblade ban repeal into law. That's right, Michiganders. We can almost. I think we have to wait till October, October right? October 10th. Okay, so October on 10th. October 10th, we may carry automatic knives with reckless abandon. Oh, man, it's, it's clicky day. It's, oh. it's going to be clicky flippy day is how, what it's going to be. How many do you think I brought to the shop the other day as soon as oh, they man. passed it? Yeah, no, we, we, we learned that it got passed, and I met Matt in my father's office as he walked in, and he goes, he goes, item one, click, item two, click, <laughs> item three, click, <laughs> item four, click. He brought four of them just right off the top, and he's like, I'm so excited. This is so awesome. And then and Jim was like... You know that's still illegal until October. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> Good thing he was transporting them for demonstration purposes. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Dad brought out his, um, I've got my 13-inch uh, Blade Show score sitting oh, in the shop yeah. as well. Yep, yep. Uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to carry that, but I'm going to do it at least once. Like a lightsaber hanging from your belt. I. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I think so. Jedi <laughs> Knight of the Switchblade. <laughs> 1950s Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, so um, effective date is uh, October 10th. This goes right along with uh, the September 1st um, Bowie effective day. date for Bowie Day in Texas. You can carry whatever you want in Texas yeah. on September 1st. And uh, Knife News also goes into, they apparently they also got a quote from Derek Bone over at Knives Ship Free. That is good news, says Mr. Derek Bone, founder of Knives Ship Free. We will bring automatic knives out as soon as the law takes effect. Because the law even prohibited the possession, sale, and manufacture of them. Absolutely. In Michigan. And this repeals all of it. Now, so, manufacture? Huh. Huh. Hmm. I wonder who would be making autos now that it's legal you, in Michigan. Mi- Matt, do you know any knife makers in Michigan uh, a couple. that might be interested in, in this huh. new development? Handsome devils, if I do say so myself. You know, they're the most handsome people on earth. <laughs> 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 so so we're super happy and we're super stoked for this. Congratulations, Michigan, on bringing a little bit more shade of freedom to us Michiganders. Oh, and just getting rid of a ridiculous law that was made during a ridiculous time. So, yes, congratulations, Michigan. Congratulations, Governor Snyder and all you politicians that made this happen. I can't believe I'm thanking politicians right now. And (laughs) thank you to ATKI. Yes, don't 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 look at that. AKTI, American Knife and Tool Institute. AKTI. And uh, knife rights. I'm sure that they had a hand in this. Also, yep, so. they had a huge hand in it. They were they were one of the they were, they were probably the impetus for the whole thing. Yeah, so. I mean, same same thing in the other states that have passed pro pro knife pro knife legislation, or or, or helped repeal anti knife legislation. So, so, in fact, go check those guys out. Uh, American Knife and Tool Institute. Do you have a website for those guys? I can look it up. That's uh, like I said, I've got a buddy who works with them very closely, and he always keeps me up to speed on all this stuff. They're definitely worth supporting. American Knife and Tool Institute can be found at akti.org, and uh, actually they have uh, they have uh, they have a membership program you can join there. There's also um, a um, uh, compendium of state knife laws, so you can look up your knife law, and it's accurate and up to date. They they're right. really all hands yeah, on. Yeah, they're that. on top of that. KnifeRights.org is another good site. I believe yes. they work hand in hand with AKTI. Yeah, I, I, so, well, I imagine it's all towards a common goal. So yeah, I don't know if they, I don't know how close the relationship is necessarily, but I know that they are definitely fighting on the same side. Absolutely. Right. Okay, very cool. Yeah, definitely check out knifewrites.org and akti.org. And, uh, you know, if you heard about them from us and you hadn't heard them before, tell them that Behind the Blade sent you. Absolutely. We can use all the traction <laughs> that we can get from you guys. And the, the bigger we can get, the more 
resources we can make available, the more resources, we're going to go on a rant for a minute, the more resources we can make available, the more revenue we can generate, the more revenue we can generate, the better equipment we can get, the better equipment we can get, the better show we can bring you guys. So that is the goal here. Absolutely. We have plans and we can totally do this together with your help. Absolutely. So tell your friends. All right. So on that huge high, I have a little bit of a low. I think it's a significant low. This is is a little bit of a low. So the knife industry lost a uh, a herald recently. Her name was Missy Hillian. She was the national sales manager for Cass Iberia. And uh, she died last Thursday. There aren't any specific details as to how she died, but she had joined a search party for a 73-year-old woman who had gone missing during a flash flood at Cummins Cummins Falls State Park in North Tennessee. Um, and according to park authorities, the severity of the flooding was unprecedented. So I'm assuming that it had something to do with the rough terrain that she probably encountered out there. So in, you know, just like on the, on the face, she probably died a little bit of a hero. That's how I'm perceiving it. Yep. And I think that's how you guys should view this also is that she selflessly went out to help some people. And as Jim stated, the exact gory details are a little bit murky, but I don't think it's any of our business, to be quite honest. She selflessly went out to render aid, and she didn't make it back. And if that is not, by definition, heroism, I don't know what is. So uh, our condolences are to the Cass Siberia crew who is suffering a loss and to her family who I'm sure is in a state of grieving right now. Um, so everybody just kind of keep them in your thoughts. And I uh, hate to end on a low note like that, but uh, yeah, please just uh, send good thoughts that way, and, and we appreciate it. And I believe we will be back in a moment for some history. What's up, guys? Jim Stewart from Behind the Blade Podcast here telling you about some amazing news. We just broke our 200 subscriber mark. To celebrate this momentous occasion, we are giving away an American Knife Company Forest 2. This is a beautiful knife. On the front side, you get to see the maker's mark, and on the obverse side, behind the blade, is a laser etch of our logo behind the blade. It's very, very cool. Comes with a knife and a sheet, and we're giving it away for free as a celebration for this. Jim, what? do we do to get in on this momentous occasion check out facebook tonight tonight today is 716 we are posting up later tonight the uh, the start of um, of the of this whole thing the second that you see that post comment in that's all you have to do this is a celebration of you guys and and uh, and and everything that we're doing here at behind the blade podcast matt and i could not be more excited to be able to do this so going live tonight comment in and then we will take care of all the counts and everything and this will go until tuesday that's 7 18 at 7 30 eastern standard time matt and i will go live and we will draw one lucky winner to win this knife thank you guys so much for subscribing to this podcast do not forget to continue to to subscribe and support us by checking us out on itunes google play stitcher and um or wherever else you you aggregate your podcast that also browses the itunes library <laughs> so so make sure that you guys check that out. This is a very exciting time for us. And um, you know, got to say, 200 subscribers is a great thing of you 750 people that are out there that like our that like our page. 750 and we only have 200 subscribers. What gives you? 
Um, I would say that some people just probably aren't rogering up like they probably should be. <laughs> There's a little Italian-style guilt trip for you guys. <laughs> so, by all means, by all means, check check that out. And, uh, and we will see you guys Tuesday at 7.30. We're back for Behind the Blade podcast <laughs> history segment. <laughs> that's that's the new horn sound yeah. effect we have there. That's, that's always on call. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to get a sounding board and have the, the awooga yeah, sound yeah, exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah, super cheesy it. radio style <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's... Uh, radio free knives. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, John has a long mustache. You remember that Radio Free America? Yeah, but, oh, uh, um, the chair is against the wall. Uh, you guys remember that from, we're going to go on a little side tangent real quick, in uh, Red Dawn, in the original Red Dawn and in the remake of Red Dawn, there were audio transmissions of The Chair is Against the Wall on Radio Free America uh-huh. and John has a long mustache. Those were um, secret transmissions that were being put out to like rebels and stuff like mm-hmm. that or people in camps that were getting censored you know, via the airwaves and all that stuff. But uh, those were actually real radio transmissions from World War II. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, that they, that they played in uh-huh. the movie, or at least the verbiage was the same. I don't know if they were the actual recordings, right. but they those were real transmissions that were put out, real coded messages that were put out via Radio Free America. I had no idea. And That's it was in Red Dawn and Red Dawn, the, the, the remake. Yeah, right. I, the did, remake yeah. I didn't see the remake. Yeah, oh, it was, it was good. It was it really? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, it was good. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Don't Darn worry. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was really good. Uh, so anyways, back to history. As it were, this week's history segment is going to be a revisit of what I think was our first history segment, but this one was on location. We went up to Nagani, Michigan in the upper state, uh, upper peninsula of, of the state of Michigan and uh, visited the Iron Museum, which had a traveling marble arms exhibit. Interesting. So you got so you got a twofer. Yeah, you got a twofer. I got the Iron Museum and I got the Marble Arms exhibit and we're doubling up on the Marbles history segment. Now, this was super cool. I mean, I'm not going to say it was a huge, stunning display, but it was very well thought out, very well laid out and very informative. So I went up there with my dad, his wife and Jenna. My daughter's out of town right now. And we walked it and it was great. We got to see Tons of uh, different variations from the stag handle to the Bakelite pommel, aluminum pommel, stag crown pommels, you know, uh, leather handles, the safety axes, uh, so much stuff. And I took pictures, I think, of every single exhibit, which I mean, there was probably a, a dozen max. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw those up on the Behind the Blade podcast page on Facebook as soon as we are done with this segment so you guys can take a look. Uh, but, you know, it was really amazing. Like some of the stuff... Obviously, on BTB, we like talking about the knives that Marbles put out, but he was such an innovator and such an inventor. Let's see. I'm going to pull up the camera so that I can talk to you guys. But I, one thing that was neat, I just saw it's the last couple pictures I took. You mentioned mm-hmm. Derek Bone over at KnifeShipFree.com. Yeah. And one of the photos is Derek standing in the showroom, and that was at the museum. <laughs> oh, and he so, sees museum quality. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. So, Derek, <laughs> congratulations. You're museum grade. You guys also, Bark River Knives. Oh, are we? We're right yeah, here? Yeah, you're really? in there also. Interesting. Which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that's that's a older picture. What's well, a museum. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, so everything, you know, 
you guys, I invite you to do a little bit of research. This is a firearm topic on the Marbles Game Getter Gun, as it was called. It's a very and cool gun, by the way. Man, I've seen some mm-hmm. over at Reed's, over at uh, North Star Trading Post, mm-hmm. uh, Sharpshooter Sheath Systems. Uh, stopped by Reed's, and he always makes it a point to show me the coolest antiquities, especially when it comes to the local fare of the marble stuff. And he does, I think, Reed, you feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think... He is now going to start, if he hasn't already, making uh, custom versions, reprodu- custom reproductions of the leather scabbard that the Game Getter gun oh, went cool. into. That's it, cool. I think it's cool on the other huh. side of the pillow. I really like it. Um, basically, what it is, a 22 caliber, let's see, it goes up to 22 long rifle, 22 short, 44 shot, 44 round bullet, and 410 shotgun. So you can get them chambered in these different... Or it's chambered, I think it's over under. I yeah, think it's, it's a 22 over, under, yeah. over a larger caliber. Yep. Uh, but just what a cool little hunting emergency gun. Now, they're worth a fortune now. Oh, because, yeah, if you can find one. Oh, if one, you yeah. can find them, they're, they're worth a couple grand. But yeah. they're sweet. And there have obviously been some revisits to this 22 thing. But that was one of uh, Webster's innovations that he put out. And, of course, you could get the optional uh, marble arm sights, peep sights, aperture sights on oh, there. Oh, yeah, those, those are exceptionally cool. cool. The, the Game Getter site yes. um, is is one of my favorite sites. It's very innovative for its time, and it's super accurate, too. It's super, yeah. If you've ever had a chance to fire one, I mean, they're really, really cool. Which What a cool oh. thing. You know what I mean? So you can picture yourself, especially, you know, look, we live up in New Sheffield. We walk around the woods up here all the time. But the idea of uh, – now, I don't have a Game Getter. I wish I did. But – uh the idea of being able to walk around these woods and you could have a game getter, a marbles ideal, a pin on coke <laughs> compass, and you could be rocking all the gear from, you know, early 1900s. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's awesome. And, and it's all effective still. I mean, it may not be the Gucciest of gear by today's standards with high tech materials mm-hmm. and plastics, but I can tell you, I use my marbles ideal like a rented mule. So it, it all still works. And yeah. you, I didn't get a lot of pleasure out of that. I got a huge enjoyment out of it. I even geeked out and carried my pocket compass when I went because I oh. was. <laughs> Of course. I'm bringing my compass with me. I've got a marbles thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I, (laughs) man, I'm just a sucker for them. I can't wait for, um, I think you guys are going to be doing the six inch ideals here pretty soon. Yes, we are. Uh, for that's, uh, for marbles. Marbles. OEM. OEM. Yeah. Owned by, uh, owned by, I'm not even sure if I can say it or not. I then don't. Yeah, if okay. you have to yeah, ask, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. But, but it is for marbles. Yep, and that'll be cool. I know that I'm going to pick up one of those, and we'll do a whole bit yeah. on that. And hopefully by then we'll have our uh, – we have some plans for you guys. We've got some big things coming <laughs> down for you guys, and I think it's all the better. So by then, maybe we'll have a spot that we can – Review that knife. Oh, Wouldn't maybe we can, or, yeah. or review and compare. Maybe yes, old exactly. To new would be would be a good segment. And I know that Reed has got some six inch ideals that he would let us do the uh, Pepsi challenge with, so to speak. You know, look at them oh, hand sure. to hand. You know, look yeah. at the one from the twenties and look at the ones from now. So, uh, so yeah, it's not really a long segment on air because I took a bunch of photographs, and most of these are like old school ads and stuff, which mm-hmm. are just. Man, the, the, they're really cool. The old school ads are some of my favorite ads. Man. The marketing cool. techniques are yeah. so solid for that era. You're like, it makes me want that knife like really mm-hmm. bad at, versus today's, I think, marketing techniques, which you can hardly do for guns and knives or anything yep. like that anymore. But uh, I, today's, they, I feel like they're pandering a little bit and they, they treat you like an idiot. These ones are like, you just need to have this quality product. So we went and checked that out. Um, the funny thing is we hit an antique store in a neighboring town on the way home. And they had a framed vintage marble arms advertisements. Oh. Like several of them from magazines and stuff framed. And it's kind of neat. And Wait, were they for sale? Oh, I, 
I, what do you mean? The ads? Yeah. I bought it. Oh, you bought it? It was $7. Well, I yes. bought it. Yeah, it was like, $7? it was cool. Oh my God, and they're all, clippings, you know? That's and I, cool. I just thought it was neat. So yeah, huh. I got it. So we're going to be hanging that up in the shop because I just thought it was super cool. Um, but yeah, so to go with my marbles ideal, I just thought it was interesting. We it, like, I apologize, guys. Not a super fleshy history segment that we're doing today, but it was just cool to be able to travel to the museum and see all these things. Everything from, you may not know, uh, everybody may not know about the marbles safety pocket axe, pocket safety acts um probably not but it uh, but it is very cool that it, that I, I i remember that uh when when my father was working at marbles in the mid 90s they had brought some of those back and, oh, nice. and remade a bunch of them oh wow and and they turned out really really nice it's very very cool little pocket hatchet that you really can stick in your back pocket it's probably not the most practical but it fits but it works so, yeah yeah it basically excuse me there are photographs of them that we'll be posting to the uh, Facebook page, like I said, as soon as this segment's over. But they have a mask or a guard that covers the sharpened edge of the axe, and you can see that it runs down to like a strut that connects to the handle. Now, in the handle is a pivot where that strut makes junction, Mm -hmm. and the mask swings out of the way and folds into the handle. So you have like this, it, it goes from being totally safe to being a live blade, and it tucks into its own handle, and then you're free to use it's it. The, it's the OG folding axe. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's just, what a brilliant idea. Yeah. Other things that I thought were noteworthy there were the, you know, uh, your dad actually gifted me one, uh, wrist compass. Oh, really? The Marbles wrist that. compass. Yeah, oh, cool. he, he gave me one of those, and I love it. The match safe. The match safe is pretty cool. This is an innovation. Now, everybody has, remi- I think ExoTac even still makes them today. Completely different design. Interesting. But uh, yeah. uh, a way to carry your matches in a waterproof capacity while in the woods mm-hmm. or anywhere. Right. Now, Webster was out hunting and he found out that a 10-gauge shotgun shell nested a 12-gauge shotgun shell inside very conveniently. Like, they just oh, fit you can, perfectly. You can, you, can see, you can see where the inspiration comes from then. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. so he would keep his matches in there to mm-hmm. keep them dry while he was out hunting or timber cruising or whatever it was that Webster was doing in the woods at that point. So he went forward and he developed uh, a metal version of this shotgun shell contraption that he had put out. And he patented it. I want to say it was in the uh, – I can tell you because I brought the book. Uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. That sounds about right for the match safe. Yeah, there we go. Oh, patented. Yeah, lucky me. Patented 1900. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess we're right on the money. Patented 1900. That's when he was able to get the patent for it. And they were brass. They were nickel coated. Some of them were fluted vertically along Mm -hmm. the axis. Other ones were knurled, which I really like. The knurled ones. Knurled ones are hot. I still need to get one of the fluted ones, just because if I was a collector of anything, it'd be marble stuff. I I don't know why, but (laughs) I just really like it. Um, The concept behind the knurling was you'd be able to strike the strike anywhere matches along the side. Right. And okay. It, yeah, yeah. And it also helped in unscrewing it. Sure. So there's kind of a right. reeded edge around the top flange of the lid, and you unscrew it, and it folds open, and you keep your matches in there. Mm-hmm. So just another Marbles innovation. That one of the other things that was just, I want one of these too. I think they're pretty cool. The old ones are far superior to what I would consider the modern-day knockoffs. I'm trying to dig for the photograph <laughs> right now. As a bunch of old antiques typically are. Yeah. Like, oh, even, even like in woodworking and furniture, some of the old stuff still holds up. Absolutely. You know I mean, so there's a lot of concepts that are just timeless and just, you know, mechanically sound. So Yeah. I, I mean, it's just the time and care that they put into it back at that time. You know what I mean? It's totally different than the production-driven... Uh, what can we do to make it cheaper at this time? I was oh. going to say drivel. Drivel. There you go. Is <laughs> that what I'm doing but, right but now? No, 
No, no, no, just like the modern stuff. But maybe that's a little harsh. Maybe the word drivel is a little harsh. But you know what? <laughs> I, I, I feel like such a jerk, guys. I didn't mean to let you down. I will take a picture of the catalog page because I have those. Our but fans are so patient. They, yeah, you guys are great. <laughs> you guys are the best listeners. Oh, here's an interesting thing. Okay. So uh, this was there. I did snap a photo of it. This is definitely worth talking about, though, in this history segment. Uh, I don't know if we covered it in the first one or not. Which which what? The, the, the pilot fire? survival knife. I don't think we did. Oh. I think we talked about the woodcraft and the and the, ideal and the ideal okay. and the, the canoe you know canoe and stuff like that, but not not this one. So this is a ubiquitous knife. I'm sure that everybody listening to the podcast that has any working knowledge of knives from just about any era has heard of the Pilot Survival Knife, typically made by Camillus or Ontario in today's market dating back to like the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, they look very similar to a Marble's Ideal. They have like a sawtooth back on a six-inch blade. In this one, I think they're even five now. I think right. typically they're they're five inch. They've got a stamped steel cross guard with a couple holes in it. The the key ID feature on these that will be like oh that aha moment that light bulb igniting mm-hmm. moment is the pommel looks like a nut. Yeah, it's, it, it's a hex. It's a yeah. hex nut, like yeah. a steel nut. Looks so like it looks like it, we're looking at the blooper right now. It's a one inch hex. Yeah, there right? you go. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep, one inch flat to flat, wrench yeah. flat to wrench right. flat is one inch. Now. Webster Marble developed this knife in, let me see if I can find, 1957. <laughs> January 11, 1957 is when the date of the blueprint is, okay? Wow. So he developed this knife and he submitted it to the government to fulfill a need for a pilot survival knife, a light all-purpose knife that had some functions built into mm-hmm. it. Now, the hex nut actually has a function too. I don't know if you knew this. Jim. No, I did not. What so that, that? that hex nut is what they would use to open the valve on the inflatable boat, the raft, the oh, emergency raft. You just stick it in and twist. You put it in there and twist, yeah, and that would open the valve on that to Interesting. inflate. Interesting. So he submitted it to the man, to Uncle Sam, and said, uh, here is this pilot survival knife. They loved it. It was celebrated. Camillus swept in, underbid it by 30 cents. Oh, no. Took the design, made it famous. Oh. Webster got nothing. Oh, no, even though he came up with it. Yeah. So how did Camillus get their hands on the print? I think they basically created a criteria, and that became the criteria, and it went up for bid. So Webster developed, I mean, they said, this is what we wanted to do. He came up with the model, and then it went up for bid. Right. And so, yeah, you got totally sniped. There were very few made. I don't remember how many exactly. I'd have to look through the coal book. Mm -hmm. One of the coal books, I think they have the the quantity made. There's not very, you can find them rarely, Mm -hmm. and they did eventually do a civilian version that wasn't like the government issue, and they have like higher polished blades and stuff like that. So they did make a number of them, but not to the level of the what we know now is the pilot survival knife right which you know just you can find them at flea markets on ebay everywhere everywhere, just the marble ones are very hard to come by so interesting kind of a sad story as far as that goes because he he really was an innovator and it's an amazing knife they had one there i did get a picture of that i'm pretty sure oh that's awesome and i was like look at that so i was very excited about that i thought that was kind of neat um, and then we were on to the safety folding knife, which that one I am going to have to send you a picture out of this book that Reed gave me, uh, because I, I neglected to take, I was, per, I was awestruck and I just <laughs> looked at it instead of photographing I, it. I totally, I, I totally fell in love with it the first time I saw it because it's, how else do you get a blade that big to fold and still, and still be totally functional? I mean, it's, it's a very, very cool way of doing it, even though it looks a little silly when it's closed. It does. <laughs> when it's closed, I mean, if you saw it closed, you'd be like, well, that's odd. But basically what you have is a, what looks like a more slender marbles ideal blade mm-hmm. that's on a swing guard system, like mm-hmm. a switchblade or a old, um, 
stiletto, yep. Italian style yep. stiletto. And when it's closed, the blade is longer than the handle. So there's a little metal guard that swings out much in the way of the safety axe. And from what I understand, that same kind of metal guard actually locks the blade open. Yes. Too. Yeah, it comes in so, as the stop. Yeah, yeah, it's the stop for the blade. So so that little part comes out about three quarters of the way, comes out to encapsulate the blade as it's folded down, and it's locked down. I mean, like some of them even had a bale that you could pull put, pull up and over over the blade to even lock yes. it down even further. To slip it right in. Yep, the safety hunting knife right here. Just a cool design, very clever, very innovative. Um, it got copied a number of times throughout the years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the Germans and the English, mm -hmm. I think Sheffield and Zollingen, yep. I think these guys all jumped on that bandwagon because yep. it was so innovative. Yeah, they went to town on it. And then yeah. eventually the modern pocket knife kind of took over. Yep. And it was a thing of history lessons. So right. there we are. So we'll take some pictures of that and put it up. Uh, and I will be sure to post after this segment all the pictures that I took from the museum. I hope that you guys enjoyed as much as I did. If you are in Michigan, especially in the UP, I, I think it's a great opportunity to just go up to Nagani. It's a beautiful drive. It's a beautiful area. The campus is gorgeous. Yeah. And there's one nice girl working there, and it's a well-laid-out museum exhibit. It's very clean. It's very nice. It's free. I donated my obligatory $5, you know, to mm -hmm. the effort. Yeah. I recommend that you guys do the same if you can do that. But uh, it's just a great piece of Gladstone history up in the UP right now for a limited time. So check that out. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed the history lesson, although it was a little different from our typical history lesson. And we will be back in a moment. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin, Behind the Blade Podcast, coming to you, talking about KME Sharpeners. <laughs> Matt, we were exceedingly stoked to bring on KME Sharpeners. They have an, a great American-made product, and we have brand new, cool, upcoming stuff just for Behind the Blade audience members. That's right. So I got off the phone. Uh, yesterday, I got the opportunity to talk with the folks over at KME, and they said that they appreciate you guys so much that they are willing to extend a $25 discount off any of their systems, regular or deluxe, the full KME systems, 25 bucks off. All you have to do is drop our name. Whoa, what's that? That's you, you get to save a little bit of money just because you're part of a special cool club, that's, cool cats club? That's right, yeah, because you are a listener and supporter of Behind the Blade, then you use the coupon code, and this has already been verified by them, everything is operational, the coupon code is Behind the Blade, all one word, no spaces, Behind the Blade, so enter that in, what's also pretty cool is that you can call them, you can call a shop and say, <laughs> I don't do online purchases, blah, 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 you can do whatever you want, call them up and just say, Behind the Blade. But you have to say it with no spaces, otherwise they won't accept it, even on the phone. Right, so if you just say behind the blade. Nah, no nope, discount. Mm, nope. nope. You gotta be behind the blade. All one, it. word. <laughs> <laughs> all one word. $25 so, off anything that they've got for sale, right? Uh, it's any of their systems. Any complete of their systems. systems. Either any the regular their, or deluxe system. Any yeah. of their complete yeah. or regular or deluxe systems. $25 off back into your pocket. Absolutely. And that sale is going to be running all the way through the end of July. July 2017. So maybe you're digging this up from the archives in like the 2030s and, and you're trying, and KME's like a bazillion dollar company and we pay for everything in like Gando or something like that. You know? <laughs> so, but, so it wouldn't apply then. Uh, 2017, that's the limit. And July is even more finite limit on that. So you have until the end of the July 
to pick up your KME sharpening system. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. I'm actually looking forward to this evening taking my KME to my uh, Blade HQ uh, Tuxedo Quaken, the Blade HQ. Oh, yeah. The knife came with kind of a dull edge on it, and I love setting the geometry on my KME, and then I can touch it up by hand from there on in. But it's an amazing tool. You guys won't be disappointed. This opportunity to save $25. Take advantage of it. Email them, or I'm sorry, place the order through the website, or give them a call. Use Behind the Blade, all one word, as your coupon code, and you'll get the 25 bucks off. Thank you so much. And we are back for our Tech Tips segment. Matt, what tech tips do you have for us today? This is a cool one, guys. This is, uh, I was actually contacted by Tom Crine of Crine Knives, and uh, you may have seen his work. He does a lot of killer regrinds on existing blades. Oh, have you seen that? Yeah. You know what? You were telling me about this before. I actually hadn't heard about this before before you had mentioned it, but I did check out some of his work, and it is stellar, super clean, very even stuff. Oh, I know. <laughs> Anytime we see these guys, you yeah. know... I, People are like, oh, man, you do a good freehand grind, stuff like that. And then I, I look at Tom's work, and I'm like, oh, i got a long way to go. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, Matt's it, an excellent freehand grinder. I mean, like, I dare say he's better than I am. It, and, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's like another level. you got to have, like, a 10-pound <laughs> yeah. sack, though, to be like, oh, I'm just going to put this to the wheel. An existing knife, you know, a decent high-dollar <laughs> knife, whatever. Yeah. Ah, screw it. Let's just do it. So, <laughs> no, uh, much respect to him and much appreciation to Tom for contacting me and just giving me uh, – a little tune-up on my soldering technique. He also gave me kind of a contingency for you. May, you guys may remember from the first segment we did on soldering guards how uh, how much I stressed on it being imperative that the fit be exact. Yeah. Well, for a lot of people that are either a learning or b behind the production curve, mm-hmm. the time to hand file to this art knife Buster Warensky perfect flawless finish mm-hmm. it, it may not be an option it may be dependent on your equipment or whatever and you may end up with a slight gap between your guard and your ricasso or tang wherever that joint is mm-hmm. and to get around that and still have a very well constructed sound construction method when soldering a guard tom spun me up with some tips so i'd like to help you guys out with that so very if there cool. is a little and, cool. and i'm not saying a quarter inch gap on either side i'm saying like if it's just <laughs> not a perfect perpendicular square absolute tits finish right and what you can do and this was cool now you may have read in the uh 1974 copy of how to make knives with bob loveless and mm-hmm. richard barney and all those guys that in the back it talks about guard soldering methods and uh one cat i don't remember who it was would stake the guard in a couple places from the handle side yeah and, and staking is basically taking a center punch and hammering it so it swells the material and makes contact with the steel portion of the knife. Essentially essentially capturing the guard against the tank. Yes, basically. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Tom takes it to the next level and I we were in the middle of a batch of bushcrafters and I and I, they were every all the guards were fitting really well so it's very timely though and one of them just had a little bit of a gap. Now, we're talking to the tune of maybe a 32nd total you know what i mean mm-hmm. split 64th per side maybe right. or, you know plus or minus there's this there, tiny tiny gap, there was yeah. a little bit of a gap and i think i could have gotten away with a more substantial gap and have this still work so it, by no means is this cutting corners this is just a way to not scrap a knife and a guard maintain its structural integrity and be able to use it even if it's not that like i said that 
time-consuming art knife finish, right? right? You're making field knife. So what Tom does is he stakes the guard. So imagine that it is tipped down, tang up Mm -hmm. in the vise, and you're looking at the back of the guard. Right, right. You're looking at the bottom of it where the handle fits. Yeah, what would be the bottom is now on the top. So you go through and you stake it around the entire perimeter. Now, I didn't do it on the edge side so the guards we were doing were open back, so it looked like a, a U. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you were mm-hmm. to look at it. Yep, we do several models like that too. Yep. Yeah. Like a like a loveless dropped yep. hunter would be like that. Right. So I didn't do it on the edge side, you know, which was the I guess the thickness of the blade, if that's making any sense yep. to you guys. And you'll see it in the pictures because I'm yep. gonna post it. Just those just behind exactly the choil instead of the scales. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, um yep. but I did do it on either side mm-hmm. and I staked it, I don't know. 10 times, maybe a dozen times wow. per side. Wow, and okay. what I did was I made like a complete union between the scale and the blade steel. Okay. So that if you were to write the knife or mm-hmm. turn it upside down from where it's at now and look at it, tip up in the air, tang in the vise, mm-hmm. it creates like a gutter. It creates a gutter with a bottom. Okay. And that now the guard is fit perfectly to that knife. Right. And the, the gap is where the solder will fill in and flow. Okay. Amazing. Is, is it really? It was amazing. Huh. So I did this and I was actually able to, because what happens is if there is a gap, you can't build up the solder joint to get that real pretty kind of Randall-esque or old school Loveless-esque or Morseth-esque mm-hmm. um, solder fillet. Right. So you can't get that kind of pile of solder that gets polished away. It becomes difficult to build up because if there's a gap, as you feed solder into it, mm-hmm. it just runs out the bottom. Right. So now right. you're in this kind of balancing act of cooling it, building, cooling, building, cooling, building, or flipping it upside down, tip down and soldering from the bottom. Right. Oh, I see what you're and saying. And then it all runs gotcha. up the blade and you have hours gotcha. of cleanup and it's a nightmare. So what this does, is it, it captures that flowing solder and it holds it in a little pocket around the perimeter of the knife. That's so simple. I would have yeah, I would have never thought that it would would have been that simple. I, yeah, yeah. Because I, because when you showed me how to solder guards, it was just just stake it on like normal, just like normal production, so it's one or two per side depending right. on depending on how your fit is and then just soldering it. You're saying you're saying completely close off the handle side. Yes. of of the guard as far around as you can and well, well, well you can still maintain a good fit to your parts. Absolutely. And then it creates a gutter. So you just fill in the gutter from basically. the top side. Yes, top exactly. Side. Okay, so that's and, cool. in opposite of the way that I typically solder, which is on pretty tight fitting guards, right? Mm-hmm. I can use that capillary action. I told you guys apply the solder from the bottom right. and then and then wick it up, you know, using heat from the top side. Yeah. In this case, when you have that gap or you have that situation that you run into, or you just want that kick-ass old school solder joint that just looks awesome, you know, mm-hmm. then you solder from the top. Right. So okay. in this case, I was heating from the bottom of the guard, soldering from the top, and I it flowed beautifully. It built up beautifully in the real voodoo comes in the next step so uh he also told me because i use a a spray bottle to kind of set my joint i'll just put a couple drops of water and that constricts it all right uh tom advised me and i tried this and i really like the results from is take a soaking wet paper towel apply it to the bottom of the guard i'm about to sneeze my nose tickles i'm sorry guys (laughs) he's so excited he's allergic to it oh it's distracting (laughs) oh my god uh don't do it Look up in the no, light. I got okay. nothing. I got okay. nothing. Okay. Right. I, I stole my sneeze. So this is terrible. I got like a splinter in my sock earlier. <laughs> I have to sneeze. It's Sunday. Come on, Matt. Um, so uh, so you take a soaking wet paper towel and you apply it to the warm guard from the underside. From, from the bottom. And it okay. wicks that heat away. And sure. it, it was really impressive because you can watch the solder go from this kind of mirror mercurial looking mm-hmm. liquid metal to like a foggy cooled solder. Right. Interesting. From the bottom. So you so 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 you've got the knife in the vise, tip up, tang down. Yes. 
and then and then you you uh, you you heat it and you solder it like you normally do. You try to fill in that gutter that you were talking about yes. completely, and then wet paper towel to the bottom of the guard. Yes, pulls the heat down. Yes, to the whole thing. You got it. Interesting. Yeah, hopefully you guys okay. got that too. Um, now another thing is I had talked about using an ice pick that I use to flow mm-hmm. the to move the solder yep. and the flux around. That was also part as, of the lesson you showed me. Yep, to try to kind of sculpt it. Is it still kind of malleable? Well, yep. let's take that to okay. some pro level. Okay. And uh, Tom uses an eighth inch stainless steel rod that okay. he has on one end a polished albeit blunt but a tapered blunt polished point okay. and on the other end imagine half of a ball like a sure. polished full radius in every direction almost, on the almost other. like almost like the back of a of a of a, of a ball peen hammer yes like when, yeah. you, when you go to properly peen something right interesting so he has those okay. two ends and they both perform unique functions so the tapered end you use to move your flux around and to flow that joint around and get it set up and the ball end you can use to set the radius of the fillet of the oh, solder fillet yeah, itself. yeah okay yeah. well i didn't have eighth inch stainless steel rod or if i did i didn't spend any time looking for it but i did have a whole bunch of uh a little thicker than eighth inch, so I had to do a little bit different fab work. I had a um, titanium rod. Like, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have tons of it. And, yeah. and so I have so much of it that I was like, well, this is cool. I'm going to have this tool forever. Might as well burn up the grade five titanium on this. It's okay. And so I made that. And the way I made it and the way I would recommend anybody else, if you didn't have a lathe, um, is we have a technique where we will chuck something round up into a, a hand drill, like mm-hmm. a cordless screw gun. And then I'll take it to the slack belt yep. on the grinder. And I can set perfect radiuses or tapers, smooth contouring mm-hmm. that way against the slack. And I think I start at like 120, uh, 220 up through the grits. And then I do the same thing on the buffing wheel, still chucked up in the right, drill. Just, right, just kind of smooth everything over. Now, yeah. one thing that's worth mentioning here, and it depends on if you're left or right-handed, but you want it to go against the grain of the grinder. Okay. So the belt, yeah. as you're looking at the grinder, is is driving towards the yep. ground, right? right? Right. So you want to set as a right-handed person your drill to reverse, right? So that you're so, cutting so you're against cutting it. against it. You, well, and I imagine the job will be faster too. It's faster. Your movement yeah. material it comes out pretty pretty clean that sure. way. And so that's what we found works for us. So I made this tool at Tom's advice, and uh, it has the taper and it has the ball in. They're mirror polished, and I was able to, as that solder was liquid, set that fillet, move it around. Full penetration. Now, even though the gutter was staked mm-hmm. and it was what looked like a complete fitment all the way across with zero gaps, mm-hmm. solder still penetrated. It just didn't fall through. Right. But you can see that white line of white metal that came through. So it still has full penetration. It still keeps that moisture block up. It still fills in any of the minute gaps that you right. have. And it was amazing. So, like huh. I said, the next step is where the voodoo is. And that is a sisal wheel. So think of sisal sure. rope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sisal wheel. And this, guys, the perfect solder joint has been my white whale from day one, whether it be from cleanup, (laughs) whether it be, uh, you know, Uh getting it to look appropriate and be just right. Uh, This is something that your dad actually told me about, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe. Really? And then Josh Dabney from Dabney Knives, who makes a hell of a kitchen knife, guys. In fact, go check out Josh Dabney, D-A-B-N-E-Y. Uh, I think he has a Facebook group called the Dabney, Dabney Knives Mafia. Dab- Dabney Mafia. The Dabney Mafia. Okay, I think. If you search any yeah. of that, you'll be able to find and, him. Yeah, his his fit and finish is phenomenal. He's a wizard. He's a wizard. A he really wizard. is. Yeah. When Mike had told me about the sisal wheel, Dab said that he had one laying around and he just sent it to me to use, and I kind of played with it but just like anybody else when you get a new tool or something new, you're like, oh, this isn't what I'm used to, so I feel like it's not working. Mm-hmm. It took another. So I I kind of went back and forth on it, and it. I wasn't, I don't think I was using it right is what it came down to. 
Uh, Tom spinned me up. I loaded it up with some uh, green compound because that's my favorite compound for everything I do. Green compound directly on the size of wheel. Yep. And okay. you guys use yep. black for everything. I yep. use green for everything. It just, right. you know, right. what you like. And uh, so I loaded up with green compound, that size of wheel, and I threw it on a polishing lathe. And uh, it was amazing. So the fingers, the fibers of that uh, sisal rope that's woven into that buffing wheel actually strip away the excess solder. And it generates some heat, and it actually smells kind of cool. It smells like soldering a circuit board, if that can make any sure. sense, because those yeah. natural fibers are burning off, yeah. and it has a different, a new smell in the shop, which that's, is usually... That's interesting. Yeah, but uh, I was able to get in there. What's going on with that? Is that... Oh, uh, Windows is trying to upgrade on oh. me, but everything else is still going on Okay, as long as we're still so, recording. So, um, yep. so I was able to really kind of mash that in there and clean up that joint, and the result... Ex- I mean, it's my favorite. Really? It's, it's the best, yeah. Really? Okay. I have a sizal wheel sitting in my office. Yeah. Oh, really? No I, I kidding. Do. I do. I have a really thin sizal wheel. It's probably a three-eighths, three-eighths oh, sizal wheel. probably by, a quarter inch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm going to have to experiment with this because I have to make a prototype for the for the Marauder series. There you go. Coming up soon. So, I got to find some brass for that. But I'll, I'll do this on that and see how it goes. I think you should. And, yeah. uh, it, you know... Tom has already established that he can be my hotline in case I run into any problems as far as that goes, okay. you know, and you guys feel free to contact me or Jim directly if you have any issues with what we just threw out there. And uh, and we'll see what we can do to make sure that we give you the right information to accomplish the task. So size a wheel and then buff and then it's done. And so I still right. have to There's take no, a... The, do, you have, do you have to hand sand a little bit? Nope. No, not no. at all. Uh, okay. And so yeah. I, I will... Well, you shouldn't have to. I think my own ignorance and growing into this technique... There was one spot or two spots where I was like, you know what? I really want to hit it with the uh, 2000 grit. Oh, on just a little, minor, just minor stuff. I mean, it was just touch, barely yeah. a touch up just to right. kind of flatten some things out a little bit. So, I mean, I wouldn't say I spent three minutes on it with the 2000 grit. Right. So that was just right. a touch up. But I think ultimately you shouldn't have to. And I was able to get a brilliantly polished, perfect looking solder joint. Interesting. On a, on a, a relatively gapped guard. You huh. know what I mean? A slightly gapped <laughs> guard. So I was... I was very excited about it. Um, for all the people, vehement nice customers that are waiting for Bushcrafters, I'm not saying that you're getting the gapped guard because we actually had a customer upgrade his order to a different knife from that Bushcrafter. <laughs> so I said, well, look, I'm going to get a new Bushcrafter for myself and have some Right, this will around. be for you. So so that is mine. And uh, I will post pictures today. Jim and I are going to do um, kind of some photographic liner notes on today's episode because it is so image heavy mm-hmm. from everything that we've been discussing. So we're going right. to post up the Marbles Museum and we'll post up the solder joint and it's just two pictures on the solder joint, an underside and an overside of the finished product. Um, what I've described here in this segment, you should be able to use that to achieve what you need. Uh, now, I did all this with Staybrite, although Tom recommended either the Eutectic 154 or the Messer MG120 with MG120 Flux. Um, you're free to use whichever it is you want because I was obviously able to get it with the uh, uh, Staybrite. Mm-hmm. But the the Eutectic or the Messer is supposed to actually be better and flow a little bit better, but it costs a fortune. So okay. I'm going to order it in the next couple of weeks. I mean, it's like a hundred bucks. Oh. It's crazy for solder where I normally pay like eight. Yeah, yeah, eight it's to fourteen. Ridiculous. Yeah, it, so it, better be, it better be really nice. Yeah, it is. So. It is good stuff. So I'm eager to try that, but I cannot speak firsthand on it because I haven't used it myself. But nice. I will get back to you guys when that happens. And uh, we'll post up pictures of the finished product. I'd love to hear what you think. And hopefully for you guys who are like, oh, man, this isn't that perfect fit. What do I do? Well, make the knife and make the knife well and use this technique. I like the way it looks so much visually Mm -hmm. that I think maybe just leaving that little 64th gap is possibly even standard practice because (laughs) it comes out just as strong and visually, in my opinion, more appealing. 
Nice. So, Very cool. So there you go. There is Tech Tips, episode 15, Behind the Blade Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed, and thank you so much, Tom. I know you're a listener, and I, I can't thank you enough for all the help. It, I know it helped me in my shop, and hopefully it helps all the guys out in the trenches as they uh, hack through all this themselves. So we will be back in a moment with your Q&As. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin with Behind the Blade Podcast. Uh, If you're listening to this show, then obviously you have a deep passion for all things bladed. But what if your passion extended into your business and you offer a product or service that appeals directly to the knife community? We wanted to let you know, as Jim and I hack through this podcast, we've reached out to thousands of people and have hundreds of subscribers. So if you have something that you would like to put in front of them, we welcome you to advertise with Behind the Blade Podcast. Please feel free to email us at info at behindthebladepodcast.com. For our rates and pricing schedule, we would love to support your product, especially, well, not especially, only if it's something that we believe in. And I can tell you that the advertisers that we've gone with so far amazing products we love pushing them we would do anything for our sponsors and that helps us keep the lights on so email us at info at behind the blade podcast and find out what we can do to help take you to the next level Welcome back, Jim, to the Q&A! Oh, my God. This is my absolute favorite part of the segment. We are allowed, we're, we're allowed to go completely off the cuff. Cuff? Cuff? Cuff. cuff. It's off the cuff. Off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah, off yeah, the I'm, cusp is like falling off of something, but off right, the cuff is like right. doing something from your hips. Right. You throw somebody off the cusp of a, of a cliff, and then you answer questions off the cuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm in. All right. Okay. You guys may have noticed that we did not throw up a question box this week because we got slammed last week and we weren't we able did. to get to everybody. So we're going to pick up where we left off on the questions from our last episode, episode 14, and we're going to jump right into it. So the first question for this episode is from Andy Teal, and it is, Jim, your Bravo line is the most classic interpretation of a modern tactical knife I know. Matt, your knives have a slightly more aggressive appearance. Assuming that only one in maybe a hundred thousand will ever find himself or herself in a close quarter knife combat situation, what do you guys think attracts so many people to fighting knives or at least tactical knives? Great question, Jim. I think that's a that's a subjective question a little bit, I um, think so. a little bit. So so it's like, how do you feel when you hold the knife? Is it comfortable for your hand? Do you f- do you fear you can slash or stab with it pretty good? If you're if you're talking about a tactical aspect and as far as self defense goes, you know, um, does it fit your hand well? Are you going to be able, be able to maneuver? the knife properly um a lot of people can a lot of people get that sense from just looking at a knife you, a lot, uh, some other people get a get a feel of it in the hand um <clears throat> um so what i think attracts people to it is um is just the look and the feeling of personal of personal security and utility you get by having by having the knife in your hand a lot and a lot of people just it's a it's a subjective personal thing because what uh some people can fight with a with a puko Right. You know, and feel totally comfortable, whereas something that's a little bit more ergonomic, a little bit more in the hand, like a Bravo or a Kudumisa, you know, would 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 just serve them a little bit better. So it's it's really just what what are you planning to do with it? How 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 is how is your training with it? Is it is it comfortable for your hand? Is it maneuverable? How do you like things? 
So um, I, Matt and I both that Matt and I both offer different options for that, and we and we both find lots of people that buy our knives. So so just I, I, I guess just get out there and go. I mean that's so I mean to prove Jim's point as to how subjective it is. My answer to the question: It's the difference between a Honda Civic and a Corvette. Okay. And so what yeah. you have is you have fuel economy in the Civic. You have the practicality. It's got four doors. Mm-hmm. It's got a decent trunk. You can fit your kids and your dog and your groceries and everything inside of it. It's the smart, practical approach. So mm-hmm. to go back to your Puko, sure. that is the smart, practical approach. That sure. I mean, is an all-functioning knife for everything that you would actually need it to do. And then you have the lines and the capabilities of the Corvette. Right. But you come at the sacrifice of fuel economy. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to do the 240 miles an hour or whatever they can. No. I don't know what they can get out of them now or like a Ferrari or Lamborghini. Yeah. So basically, in my opinion, what attracts people to the tactical knife market is two things. And I don't want you guys to take this as a shot. I'm not diminishing what it is you do. I know we have a lot of movers and shakers. We have some quote unquote operators. We have police. We have everything. But when it comes down to a tactical knife, what you're selling are the lines on the knife. And there is no shame in admitting to yourself, most importantly, that that knife turns me on. Right. Seeing it, yeah. it revs my motor. And whether <laughs> it is that, and I hate to use this term because it sounds derogatory to some sense, but let's be honest. Maybe it's that Rambo fantasy. You know what I mean? You're Because when you yep. have the Rambo knife, you picture yourself stitching yourself up with the, <laughs> the contents of the hollow handle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when people see a nice tactical knife, they, they get into this, man, that's just a cool looking knife. And yes, I could defend myself. But to be honest, you could defend yourself with a Dixon Ticonderoga number two pencil. Yep. You know, if it came down to it, your mind is your number one <laughs> weapon. Mm-hmm. But for people to buy tactical knives and enjoy them and get pleasure out of them, it doesn't have to be as nefarious as drawing blood from another human being. It's more like, I like the way this knife makes me feel. I like the way this knife war- looks. And if it's a good quality knife, I like the way it functions and its capabilities, even if you never realize them. So I think it's all <laughs> lines. And I think, it, it to Jim's point too, it also has to do with comfort. I think there's a big murky area where tactical knives are, they look like they've been gnawed out by a beaver and, and they're, they're uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. and they're blocky. And I, I don't support that. And look, this is our show. I can say whatever I want on here. I think they're ugly. And I, I really stand by that. I don't think there's any reason to make ugly knives that are uncomfortable to your hand or ridiculous mm-hmm. and impractical. But if that makes you feel good and that makes you happy, then buy that knife. So there you go. Tactical knife. That's why we sell so many of them is because they look cool and they make you feel good. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Next question. Good, sir. Paul Mucci. M- Mucci? I M- think so. I think It's better than Muchi. Muchi? Muchi? Maybe, I don't Muchi? know. Uh, Paul, let us know. I'm <laughs> sorry for butchering your name. Or, or I just said his name correctly and said that that one sucked. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, All right. <laughs> I'm so, sorry, Paul. <laughs> uh, if you so. weren't a knife maker, what other profession would you do? Gigolo. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, prob- it would probably be uh, for me. It would be, be dabbling into some of my other hobbies. Like um, anybody who's been following me for a really long time knows that I love video editing. I love visual effects. I love producing content. Um, it's pretty so, good at it too. If you've ever heard this show, uh, 
<laughs> I like I like making things. I'm a, I'm a little bit of an accomplishment junkie when it comes to stuff like that, where, where I can provably say, look at this thing that I did. Aren't I cool? Oh, <laughs> and I know I, it doesn't come off exactly like that, but but uh, but it, you know, I know it's super egotistical, but uh, but that's what strokes my ego, man. It's, it's just it's just give me positive reinforcement on the stuff that I do. There you go. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, that, so, that, yeah, that's a drive. Yeah. So so that's uh, that's not only just this; it's also a little bit of photography. It was um um. A, uh, it was computer repair and programming and network topology um, for, for, you know, large-scale deployments of computers and stuff. That's, that's what I was formally trained in, you know, stuff like that. But um, that's that's probably what I would uh, what I would do on the side. There you so, go. And I, but mostly just content creation, just yeah. whatever that would be. Uh, pictures, photos, audio, audio podcasts, stuff like that. Um, I, dabble, I dabble in websites occasionally, and uh, that's probably my weakest one is the website building. Because they never look very good. <laughs> so <laughs> I think ours looks pretty decent. You did an excellent job with that. Oh, thank so. you. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would go. I would go back to my previous career, which was a glorified garbage man. Yes. I basically got to walk the earth and collect, pick up stuff, collect dangerous garbage, and so yeah, <laughs> dangerous garbage. I would do dangerous garbage again, and so I, I really enjoyed that. I would go back to that in a heartbeat, but uh, it, it turns out I actually like knife making better, and I like my family better, which that keeps me at home. So yes. yeah, so that's uh, that's about that. Uh, we've got Dan Malewski. Is my card of the best all around handle material for using knives? Yes. Uh, also, yes. <laughs> yes. No. I mean, like uh, the the. Thoughts on woods and exotic woods, stabilized woods, they hold up, they do, um, except if you get them uh, wet or if there's a knot in the wood that didn't totally stabilize out properly, then you end up getting cracks and then the wood ends up moving and shrinking and swelling and and you have all sorts of interesting stuff like that. Stag and bone, um, they're not as strong as micarta, but they typically are pretty static. They they don't, I, they don't move a whole lot. I agree 100%. Yeah. So I, in order, I would go micarta, yep. descending order, mm-hmm. micarta, G10, Bone slash stag, woods, acrylics. Agreed. And yeah, so no, I, would I would go in order of durability. Now, depending on what your knife is going to, mm-hmm. and we all, this kind of goes back to the tactical fighting knife. And I'm just going to use this term, guys. And I, please don't take it the wrong way. Take it for what it is. If you're listening to this, you guys are pretty smart cats and you're going to understand. But I think the, the fantasy of what you're going to use it for versus what you actually use it for can dictate how pretty you want the handle to be. If it's an EDC knife, if it's like one of your essentials yeah. that you're carrying around and you're using it to open packages or, a, you know, I will clip an errant um, branch or right. a plant as I'm walking through my garden. You know what yep. I mean? I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's weird. I just need something sharp to swipe it off cleanly. Perfect. Then you can use that. And I don't care. I mean, you can make it out of fossilized dog turds if you want to. Yeah. If you like the way it looks, I'm not hammering this knife. I'm not <laughs> batoning it. I don't intend on dropping it multiple times. Right. It's not going to fall out while I'm fast roping out of a you know Blackhawk. You know what I mean? So it's, so you can have a pretty handled knife on an EDC that really just pumps you up and makes you feel good. And it doesn't matter exactly because any handle material is going to be durable enough to be a handle material, right? Anything that's out there, it's durable, the burls and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be using it as a bushcraft or a field knife, yeah. then I would recommend staying on the upper third of that descending order. Yeah. And so just be, again, be honest with yourself as to what you're going to use the knife for and select your handle material accordingly mm-hmm. from micarta, G10, bone slash stag, wood, acrylics. Yep. And so there you in go. That, in that order. Absolutely. Um, you could even go further and say the, the hybrid wood acrylics would probably go under acrylics. 
because you got two different materials yes. made together. Yeah, I, absolutely. You know, yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean, granted, they look awesome, and I've seen some amazing wood, wood, uh, you know, wood hybrid, you know, hybrid burl stuff. And it looks really good, but but by all means, just analyze what you're going to be using the knife for. If you're going to be using the knife in, in, in a hard sense, if you're a welder on a pipeline, right, right, and you're, you know, you're, like, you're throwing around a sledgehammer or right. something, and you're going to be deep sea water diving, you probably don't want to use. You just just be smart about your handle material selection and, yep. and, and be honest and, and be honest and be honest with yourself about it and that'll be fine. We definitely do not claim. I mean, like one thing that one thing that's great about Bark River to toot my own horn for a second is that even if you do, we totally cover it. But you know, as like a little bit of a public service announcement, if you're going to be taking your knife and throwing it around, and then you ordered like a lizard skin and part of the part of the lizard scale breaks away because you were throwing it and hammering on it. You'll fix it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll you, they'll fix, fix it, it but, but nobody likes to be without their knife, especially their prized knife. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, yeah. If you're gonna have a hard use knife, get a material that can that can withstand the 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 the, the task at hand. Yep. I mean, so and so really. And, and there's so many it. different knife profiles, you know, mm-hmm. between companies, between brands, between whatever that you can have a, a city carry urban knife that has got some really cool, albeit maybe on the lower third mm-hmm. of that scale that we threw up there, yeah. the scale scale. Uh, <laughs> and, and you'd be fine with it. And then you get a different blade profile for hard work and just put some micarta slabs on that thing and just watch it go to work. So uh, yeah, nice next question. question, Dan Malevsky again. Mike Stewart, guest spot on tactical blades and why they're bad for the industry. Not tactical, but tactical. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that if you wanted Mike's opinion, all you had to do is but ask. And he'll provide it. He'll tell you. Yeah. He'll tell you. Um, so, uh, I, I think, I, you know, again, that goes back to taste. So, I mean, behind closed doors. We all have our things that we like to rib each other about and kind of talk trash about. But to be honest, some stuff is just neat to some people. And these are knife collectors. So even the tactical, maybe it's not tactic practical, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it, if they like it, let them get it. Somebody's making their, uh, they're, they're paying their bills off it. Somebody's making their dinner money. They're buying Christmas presents for their kids or maybe they're, uh, I almost said something decent, but never mind. So we'll skip that part. But yeah, it's a, um, <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't get down on bashing anybody. And if Jim and I are sitting across from each other and there's not a microphone in front of us, th- there will be some trash talking every once in a while. But <laughs> that is not what makes up the space in my mind regularly. No, so no, no. I, I would recommend that everyone do the same. Kind of live and let live in the knife industry. Vote with your wallet. Yep. If you don't like it, then don't buy it. Yep. Somebody I was offering something that you don't like, don't buy it. That's that's, it. that's really just it. Yeah. I mean, it. that's normal, normal market practices. There you go, Corey James. What's your go-to bourbon or scotch to sip when you sit and fondle your knives? <laughs> so mine is the Kiwana Brewing Company Widowmaker Black Ale. My favorite <laughs> bourbon is Miller Lite. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I just don't have a lot of experience with bourbon or scotch. I, I'd say. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm just throwing out a pithy comment. But um, I think um, the, the best bourbon that I've had at a good price is probably just Bullet. Bullet, yeah. Bullet bourbon's Ooh. pretty good. I've had some rough knives on, bo- <laughs> knives, uh, knives on bullet. Yeah, I definitely wasn't fondling knives, but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Maker's Mark. Um, it doesn't bother me. I think they all kind of uh, Oban. I drank some Oban, Oban with that, uh, Mike Janich when we would do uh, mm-hmm. training with the Marshall Blade Concepts program. When we were doing that after class, we would sip on some Oban, and really, I enjoyed that. I'm not much of a whiskey bourbon guy, but uh, mm-hmm. the fact that we have a saying, uh, you better hope you. 
effing miss me if you see me drinking whiskey. That's so, <laughs> <laughs> what it is. That's awesome. So yeah, I stick to beer. Uh, my, my P's and Q's. Dan Malevsky, again, holy cow, Dan, did you, do you have a night off, bud? All kinds of, uh, when will you be crafting a blade out of Anabantium? We already did. We auctioned it off for about $4 million. That's what's funding the podcast right now. It was really difficult to work, so I don't think we'll be doing it again. Hugh Jackman himself bought it. Yeah, is that yeah. 110V? Is 111V? Um, eleven <laughs> zero. <laughs> we call it. <laughs> no. How does no. a knife accumulator not become a popper? A popper in acquiring <laughs> knives, custom bushcraft blades, and custom slip joints and Chris Reeve caliber frame locks. Uh, go to your bank, open up a savings account, and call that account Dan's Knife Budget, <laughs> and then have automatic withdrawals for ten dollars a week. No, Dan, I totally get this because what will happen is as soon as I, okay, so my target's a $500 knife, but I have $200, so I immediately start looking for a $225 knife. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I understand. I'm just being a jerk. Yeah, budgeting for it is is super tough. No, no, no. I mean, like, you have to have so much self-control, especially if you're a knife guy, because there are so many knives at less price. (laughs) Yeah, be selective. I would say be selective, pick a target, make a plan, stick to your plan. Absolutely. And I'm sure that question was posed to us out of, you know, just laughs and ha ha satire, yeah, yeah, and satire. But yeah. but but answering it honestly, man, that's what you just got to do. Totally. <laughs> so, what blades do you take to the woods? Fishing, camping, hunting, gun shows. That's a good <laughs> question. I love that. What what goes to the gun shows? Well, if it goes to the gun show with me, that means it's on the block, mm-hmm. and it may not be making it home with me. I'm bringing it for trade fodder. Right. What do you take camping, Jim? Um, I actually um, I have I have a Fox River. I have a Bushcrafter. No, not a Bushcrafter. I had a Canadian Special before somebody somebody bought it out from under me. <laughs> um, and I have my uh, my Ultralight Bushcrafter. Hmm. That's typically what I carry for all of those things. I mean, and then and then to gun shows, I'll carry something maybe a little bit flashier. You know, so so for the trade shows, Jimmy Lyle Rambo. <laughs> 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 maybe. Uh, maybe maybe my uh, my Marauder prototype was what go. I was carrying around for Blade Show that got a lot of really good reviews and and uh, and uh, so so um, it, I guess it just depends on uh, the situation that I'm in. If I'm in a position of business where I'm going to be appealing to other people that make that, that that'll buy the product that I make, I will have something on my hip that is the future. There you go. Oh, nice. That's um, a, that's a, a wow. That was a good statement. Oh, thank man. you. Yeah, that, was, that was like some board meeting stuff right there. Yeah, like, everyone's some, in high back leather chairs and play some corporate music, light right. some cigars. You yeah. Know I mean? then, yeah, no problem. Nice. But uh, but as far as as far as just my own personal practical stuff, man, I'm carrying my ultralight bushcrafter today. I mean, that's like, yeah. that's something that I can take camping, fishing, or hunting. I can yep. do nearly anything I need with that, except for maybe killing a deer. We yeah, I gun- think you could do it. We use guns for that now, yeah. but usually. Yeah. <laughs> just come out all gross maybe if it's a uh, doe and i drop down on it from maybe like a, a fawn high. yeah you could probably take a fawn if you try to mug you in an alley you could probably take a fawn with it <laughs> just, just this little hoof comes out with a, with a switchblade yeah, it. exactly it's legal in michigan now there goes the crime the oh. fawn crime is about to spike oh man yeah. those, those errant those errant fawns that's it uh my camping loadout okay buckle up guys i'm, I'm pretty firm in this now i have a lot of knives I, I, I really honestly can't even afford my own knives, so <laughs> forgive me for no product placement here. Uh, my go-to knives, Felkneven S1. Mm. That is my number one. I don't leave the house outside of walking to gyms for the podcast or work mm-hmm. or whatever. If I'm going anywhere outdoors, I carry a Felkneven S1 and laminated VG10. Um, I do not have one anymore because I traded it for something that I think I wish I hadn't, or maybe I sold it or something, but Essie Hungless. 
Okay. That's yeah, my yeah, yeah. that's my big machete chopping blade. Sure. In its stead, I have what I carried in the jungles in Japan. I have my modified Ontario twelve inch machete okay, in cool. a custom yeah. sheath. So that I so I carry a, a machete of some sort. I carry my fixed blade Falcon even S one. I carry a Gransfors Brux small forest axe, and I carry a saw that I got in Japan. Uh, eventually I retired it cause the blades got very expensive, but I carry now a very easy to acquire silky gomboy, uh, folding pocket saw. The silky saws are pretty awesome. We were, um, when, when we were at Iwa, we were not next to, but a couple of booths over away from the silky saw booth and, and just to see the performance out of even the smaller saws. Cause They're they great. had, they had logs there that you could use their saws to saw through at the show. Right. And we'd look over and there was always people stopping by and you would sail through whatever it was you were you were sawing through. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, I'm not above it, but I don't want to sound pompous or like a jerk right now, but I will totally do that. Um, when I was in Okinawa, I was there for, I don't know, five, six months or something like that. And mm-hmm. we were literally cutting down sections of the jungle to sweep the ranges for ordnance. Right. And so our saws and our commas and our little onos, the little axes were what we used every day, all day to clear out thick, dense jungle. Nice. I carried an X-Beam Nokogiri, which is just a folding saw. Very, I mean, it even takes the silky blades. Oh, wow. It's that yeah. exact. But I picked it up at a place called Makiman. It's like their high quality Walmart or Menards out there. It's sure. where you buy all okay. the tools and everything like that. So that's, uh, hang on. Sorry, my phone closed and I'm getting messages and it distracted me. <laughs> so I used it every day. All day. Nice. And Very so cool. it wasn't like just one YouTube video of this is me doing bushcraft or whatever. You know what I mean? This was a, a hard use tool and the Silky holds up just as well. To Jim's point, they are phenomenal tools and I've yet to find anything that works as well as those two brands. So I think if you can find a Japanese folding saw, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Just remember to go easy because the blades are thin and flexible. So don't cut on the push stroke cut on the draw stroke on those you'd be snapping blades like no tomorrow mm-hmm. so but uh, those are the blades that go into the woods with us now next let's see uh any experience with zware pm the stuff looks like it performs like adamantium when it has the right heat treat and edge geometry not trying to be a steel hipster but just find the recent advancements in metallurgy metallurgy very interesting jim you know my stance on new steels so i am not going to comment on this what is your answer <laughs> um i would say that uh well I, I i don't have any personal experience working with it truthfully so it's it's hard for me it's hard for me to totally say, but what I can say, but what I can say, is that um, Zware isn't. So so. Oh wait wait hang on hang on hang on. So wait hold on. Is Zware PM the exact same as CPM Crewware? Hmm. I don't know. Because because um I'm, I looked up some data sheets and I'm looking at it right now and. Um and they're put, they're putting CPM crewware and Zware in the same kind of definition. So one's done by Bowler, one's done by Crucible, 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 or or they're both done by Crucible, or they're just called by different things. I'm not I'm I mean, not it's totally a PM. sure. I'm assuming that's uh, powder metallurgy or yeah yeah which which would be, which would be Crucible. Um, so we've used so if that's the case, then I've used crewware. Um, if crewware is the same as Zware, then um, we've made Bravo One, Bravo One LTs out of Wilderness crewware. We, the Wilderness Explorer out of crewware. One of those. And what I can say is that it is not as tough as CPM Three V, um, which means that which means that the Three V is technically a stronger blade, but it is more wear resistant by you know 15, 20 percent. 
So the edge lasts longer than than uh, than CPM three B. Um, and you better get yourself a KMG to sharpen it because it's going to be a real dream <laughs> trying to get that whipped up on a stone. Absolutely. You mean, but but you want to talk about a consistent smooth edge? Use that KME though. I mean, yeah. like spin it right up. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> and put it on there. But um, if if what I'm reading and what I've what I've looked up is true, that Crewware is the same as Zware, totally, and it's just like a different marketing name, then then uh, I would say. I would say that I love it. I'd say that it's a really good steal if it's the same as Crewware. Um, um, I think 3V is a little bit cheaper hmm. than, than Crewware, but you know, it's kind of what the kind of you get what those pay for. It's a high end, it's it's a high end steal. So you've got you've got um not not extremely specific things, but but you've got like the upper echelon of extremely tough steals. And uh, while CPM 3V may be able to flex a little bit more and not break under certain certain stances, CPM crew wear will hold its edge longer, so about fifteen twenty percent. So, so there you go. I mean, it's probably not you know the world's most perfect answer, but um, if, and that's if, if Z wear right, is the same as crew wear, right? So, right, yeah, it's a little bit out there. So, but yeah. so by all means, I mean we're totally humble on this show. So if anybody if anybody has different information on that, shoot it over to me. We'll mention your name and we will make a little bit of a segment about you know any sort of correction we need to do. Sure. But what I'm but what I'm reading from Crucible.com is that they're putting Crewware and Zware PM on the same line. Okay. Like like as alternate names for the same steel. There you go. So, so uh, but otherwise I like it. So um so yeah. Crewware, I like it. It's okay. Um, that was from Amy and Brandon Cohen. There you go. That question. Next question. Next question. Kevin Estella. Mr. Estella. <laughs> What's <laughs> happening, buddy? What are your knife review pet peeves, aside from toes and unboxing videos? <laughs> <laughs> so so that is that it's one of that's one of both of our both of our huge pet peeves when it comes to unboxing videos. And even Kevin, when I when I did those knife one oh one videos forever ago, two two or three years now, he responded to one of my videos by sending me a video of him unboxing a knife barefoot like with bad lighting oh my god like like practically on his feet <laughs> with with his toes in the bottom of it. it was a hilarious video i wish i could find it and post it up because it was really really good but um as far as other knife review pet peeves one thing i absolutely hate about uh, knife reviews other than the toes is when when a guy opens it up takes the knife out puts it in his hand holds it wrong you know, in like a hammer grip, and mm. then says something like, "This knife is not good for anything." There you go. He's not cut anything with it. He's not used it. He's not. He's in his living room, right, on his coffee table. His mom's coffee table. His mom's coffee table, and he's telling us that it's not a good knife based on his opinion, or not even that educated of an opinion. It seems. I mean, because I've seen so many tabletop reviewers that, and 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 I really don't want to come off like I'm bashing people on YouTube. Awesome, but but at the same time, if you want to talk about something, know something about it first, be, and do and something with it. Be objective right. with it. I mean, I mean, it's quite literally like the 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 you work at you're a janitor, but you work at NASA, and then you you get a manual on satellite telemetry, and then you start telling everybody that the manual is no good. From but. But Unless the, it's like Goodwill Hunting scenario. Oh, right. right, right, right. That's, that's a little bit different. That's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that would that would probably be fine. But but if you're but but if you're just if you don't have any practical experience in something, the best thing that I could recommend is go gain practical experience in that thing, and then and then to eliminate any doubt, if you're making a YouTube video, take it out to the woods and use it. I think who was it that gave us that? Uh, I think this should be industry standard. 
they give us the their knife test. They make a steak. Oh yeah, that was Jerbear. 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 Jerbear makes a steak. So he he processes some kindling and tinder. He cuts open the bag of charcoal. He he starts the fire with his fire steel. I think we added that part to yeah. it. And then he cooks the steak and then he eats the steak with a knife. And so I, I think there should be some sort of industry standard test that everybody can do. And they can add their own flair to it to make it industry or interesting. Otherwise, we shut out the entire review industry. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So they can add some flair to it. But I, I think use the knife for the function that is performed. I don't have any pet peeves personally because... If stuff bugs me, I just don't pay attention to it. I just shut it off. So I, I can't even <laughs> right. recall like, oh, I wish that guy in that YouTube video didn't do this one thing. I really, I couldn't care less. No, no, no see, so, that would be better than the YouTube review videos that I'm talking about though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, what you just said, because what I just said was the only thing that he did with a knife was take it out of the box. And say it sucks. And yeah. then say it sucks. That's a pet peeve. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. that's, uh, to me, that's a disaster. Yeah, that, that's um, terrible. I know Kevin did one of our daggers and uh, I think it was American Survival Guide. American Survival Guide did an article on one of our daggers and he used it for everything a dagger should be used for and so and he did a bunch of tests and stuff like that and i say that's perfect so if you're gonna use review a knife then review a knife against its purpose like the right. philosophy of use to use the right. nut and fancy thing right and so not uh, not not by jamming it inside of a concrete block and hitting it with a hammer or throwing right it into yeah a well can i use this to break out of a dungeon well i don't know i haven't i didn't think of that <laughs> so, uh, very how true. are we looking for time we are at 20 we're at 27 minutes for this segment. All right, we're going to do one more. One more. And, and then, then that's, oh, it's, then it's we'll an Eric Trink. Eric, I think you're awesome. We're going to do one more. This may take a minute. I'm not sure. So I know you ask a lot of pretty in-depth business questions. Mm-hmm. But from Eric, yeah. business side discussion, presentation, professionalism and packaging, and marketing your blades. How much is too much, too little, and thoughts on a middle of the road, allocating a specific budget, transferring that cost to customer, question mark, that sort of thing. Okay. Presentation, professionalism, in packaging, and marketing, there is no too much. Yeah, the only the only time that I would think that it would be too much is if you're breaking the bank for it. If it's outside of... Yeah. So if you make a knife mm-hmm. that can potentially fetch the retail of 200 bucks, I think that's mm-hmm. a good price point for uh, either a customer production maker or whatever. If it's 200 bucks and you're noticing you're spending $60 on packaging, it's too much. Yeah, that, that's, that's probably too much. Yeah. That, that's kind of that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like you have to you have to tailor your presentation and everything to to the cost of the knife. If you have an end goal retail of $200 in it, you can't spend 60 bucks on it because you're basically eating your own profit. Absolutely. And, and you're and, not and, in and, business. And you're not you're not making anything. You're 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 the entire point of business is to is to is to make money for you and yours. And and, you know, and yeah, so and, and I to I don't mean to step on no, you real right, quick. He's absolutely right. So the entire point of being in business is to provide for your family at a level of comfort that you desire. Now, the way to sustain that business is to put out a quality product that has longevity in the market. That way, because a lot of people are like, oh, they're just in it for the money. Yeah, guess what? We are in it for the money because we like to eat and we like to drink beer and we like to drive places. And we don't want to work for anybody else. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, we are just in it for the money. But the only way to be in it for the money for the long game is to make a sustainable culture of your business and a sustainable product complete with innovations. And as Eric had pointed out, professionalism, marketing, this, that, and the other thing. So, yes, spend, try Yeah, And I can't give you a hard answer because I don't know what your knives sell for and I don't know what market you cater to, I have no idea, but just try to make your marketing, because you are, yes, you are going to pass that. Well, look, you can either 
pass it on to yourself and pay out of pocket, remove your profits, have an unsustainable business model, mm-hmm. or you pass that cost on to the customer who is gladly willing to pay for it because it's a superior product in their niche. So you have to know who your customers are and where is the good money spent. You can do a lot for free on Facebook, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or you can't yep. sponsor ads or anything like that, but you can do a lot for free as far as marketing and groups and all this other stuff. Your boxes are pretty cheap. If you take the time, get some good stickers, you know, stuff like that. But don't, but you have to know your market. So know your market, know what's reasonable. I, I don't think it, for just to use a scale, in a $10 knife or a $200 knife, I think $10 for packaging is astronomical. Yeah, that's big. That's big because you can get away with a lot cheaper than that. So just think about so, that. Use that yep. as a barometer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, as far uh, as as far as allocating to a specific budget, you gotta know what you you gotta know what you want to spend on. I mean, like, so so one one method that I was taught forever ago, and this isn't like a perfect method, but it's a great place to start, is that um, construct your perfect world scenario first, and then price that, and then start coming back till you can till 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 it's agreeable to your business, till 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 it's agreeable for that for that project. Um, of course, the more you can standardize things. You know, across yep. the board. I yep. mean, I mean that'll drive costs down. So if you can buy, if you got, if you got fifteen models of knives, and you're going to make ten thousand knives this year, and you, and they all fit within the same rough dimensions, you know, at, at an attractive size, or three boxes, or three boxes. Max, yeah. <laughs> Bless you. I mean, so instead of ordering three different sizes of boxes, um, or or well, if you can standardize everything to three boxes, that's that's really the way to go. Yep. Um, and, and it's even better if they're all roughly the same size and you can even get one box to do that. That'll drive down the cost per box per sale even more. Yep. I mean, so... Um, Absolutely. So, so you have and to And I think that applies even to everything in your shop. Everything, so, yeah. So everything. the more stuff that you can standardize, the deeper volume you can either purchase or manufacture in, the lower cost per part, the more broad um, application, all of a sudden now you are have a, a more sustainable business model. Totally, absolutely. Um, as far as transferring that cost to the customer... I mean, that's just your normal business um, formula. Yeah, they so, pay for the steel, yeah. they pay for the heat treat, they yep. pay for the time, they're going to pay for the box. That means you're including the box, the, the packaging, you're including the cost. Advertising the, cost. Oh, the advertising yep. cost per, per product, which you would know how much you want to spend because you looked at it, looked, looked at what you wanted to do before, and yeah, you, you set yourself up for a yearly budget. And then that cost goes right into whatever projects you're doing for that week. Because if you've got a yearly budget, you're going to break that down per week. And then you just include that in what you want to pay for the knife. And it usually comes down to just a couple bucks per knife. If you advertise it over your production of the entire year, you're looking at two, three. So just for the knife customers, I know this is going on a business tirade. But uh, for the knife customers, just so you understand this, everything that we use from WD-40 to rags to advertising to electricity to uh, cleaning supplies, I mean, everything like that gets broken down at the end of the year and we amortize that across the cost of the knives. And it comes right. to like two or three dollars per knife. So yep. yeah, you're paying an extra two, three bucks so that we can have WD forty to clean them with. You know yep. what I mean? And exactly. alcohol and baking uh, soda to neutralize flux. Yeah, and that's and that's so so the cost of the knife is is all of the parts that make up the knife, including whatever you use to to, to do the knife. So in the packages in the system that we've got, we've got we've got we've got shop supplies. Kind of right. exactly as Matt said, amortized, 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 amortized. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. <laughs> amortized down to a certain cost that we just include inside of the knife because we know how much we spend yep. on it uh, on average, um, and that can also include the tissue paper for ten cents. Yes, and and and, uh, and the time it takes. You know, we, we've got we've got average for labor across the time too. We've got that in two different sections. We've got that in polishing and grinding and assembly is kind of one cost, and then an additional cost for packaging and stenciling. There and, you go. And, and and right on top of that, that's all just kind of included. And then, and then on top of that, that's your parts and labor included 
into the into the cost and then it's times three or times four or or however you want to do your 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 business model yeah yeah so and uh, and you so you adjust things according to how you likes to see how you likes to see it done how you likes it how yeah. you likes it and, I, uh, I can and, say though that mm-hmm. it, if you are full-time in knife making and you make a knife and you're like I can get two hundred dollars for this you sell for two hundred dollars and use that two hundred dollars to go buy steak and lobster um, you will not last long as a professional full-time <coughs> right, knife maker. Right. And, and that, so, and that is proper money management and budgeting. Mm-hmm. Lots you know, to consider so, there. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely to consider you. It's like you've, you've covered your costs for that project and now you need to reinvest most of that back. Oh, everything I mean, minus so groceries. Everything, everything <laughs> minus your bills and groceries. I'm, and we're, and we're serious. This is, this is what you need to do to succeed later. You mean, you don't immediately go out and you buy and you buy like the latest iPhone. You, Who is it? It's a, uh, Oh damn it! What's his name? Uh, one, two, three. I'm debt free. What's his name? Oh, the guy. Who oh, does. Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Yeah. He had this great quote, and we're gonna end on this because we're running way over now. I knew Eric's question would push us over the limit quite a bit, but uh, he has this awesome quote that says, "Live like nobody else now, so that you can live like nobody else tomorrow." Right. And on yeah. that note, you guys chew on that. That. That is a podcast. Matt, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. We'll catch you guys next week. What's happening, gang? I hope you guys are having a great weekend. I have to say I was... Next.